0: Welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and also going to be joining me on this podcast is fellow Our Generation uh, contributor Ben Summer. But most importantly, we have the fantastic Don Bull on to talk about his equally brilliant book, From Winning Teams to Broken Dreams, the story of six friends struggle to make it to the Premier League. Of course, this book is all in memory of Spencer McCall and all author royalties from the sales of that of said book will be going to the charity sarcoma uk Uh, so if you feel like you would like to purchase this book once listening to the brilliant interview that dom did with us there'll be a link to the amazon page down in the description below so without further ado let's get into the interview Okay, so now me and Ben are joined by uh, ex-QPR player and current Ipswich player, Dom Bull. Dom, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm very
1: good. It's a pleasure to be on. I appreciate the time that you guys have taken for this as well. So, no, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I think we're uh, both very excited
2: and uh, we'll get right into the questions. And Ben, over to you. So, I mean, we'll get to the book in, in good time, but I suppose the most recent bit of news is is joining Ipswich. So, I mean, how's that going and, and how did that come about?
1: Well, the main the main thing for me was the opportunity and the manager who uh, I actually, he was my coach, Kieran McKenna was my coach at Spurs when I was in the youth team. And I always rated him very highly. And, you know, he, he was a massive part of my development uh, as, as a young player. So, he obviously then went on onto Man United, had the experience of being first team coach there, and, and then obviously got the role at Ipswich. And I always thought when when he went there, there was always that opportunity that I could sort of you know meet back up with him and and, and go from there. So so yeah, when obviously Kieran Kieran spoke to spoke to me uh, pretty early on in the summer, and spoke to my to my brother who's my agent, um, and I always saw I always thought this was the right move for me.
0: Yeah. Uh- was it ever a difficult decision then to drop down the league, or was this something that actually was you know quite easy to not accept, but you know just come to terms with? I guess.
1: Yeah, no, of course you always want to stay as high as possible for as long as possible, and you know the dream's still not over of of, of playing in the Premier League. Um, I just thought that it was you know going to a club that really wanted me. Um, Of course, it was a tough it was a tough six months last six months at QPR and I want to be going in somewhere where I'm going to be contributing every single week and and the main the main focus at Ipswich this year is to get promoted so uh, you know that was the same focus this year at QPR which I really enjoyed um I know of course the the second half of the season didn't really go to plan but um it's nice being part of something that you know you're all striving you're all in it together and I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, getting promoted next year and being back in the championship.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the sort of talking about the dream of playing in the Premier League, I suppose, brings us quite nicely to the topic of the book and should say for the sake of the listeners. And that's uh, From Winning Teams to Broken Dreams, uh, written in aid of uh, Sarcoma UK, in uh, the memory of Dom's friend Spencer McCall. So, I mean, I suppose first question about the book is, is when did the idea come about and then how long did that all take to, to come together?
1: It actually started. Well, I started about five years ago. Actually, it could even be longer now. It could even be six years. Uh, I had a tough, I had a tough uh, loan move to Peterborough, and I, um, I was just so fed up with it all. I was a bit like, "What? Like, I just want to play football," and yet, you know, there's all this other stuff going on. It's not as simple and easy as you know, just going out onto the pitch to play football. And I thought, you know, I, I wanted to start writing down, um, just writing down some points. I just wanted to start. I thought, you know what? I'm going to share. I'm going to share my journey, and also at the same point, at the same time, a lot of my friends, my close friends who are in the book, they were having tough times in football as well, and it just sort of made me think. You know, a lot of people think we're living the dream. Um, you know, kicking a ball about every single day, and and that, and a lot of the time it is it is that it is that, and I and I love I do love it, but on you know, on other occasions it can, it can be it can be quite challenging. So I just wanted to sort of put put out sort of like a true like memoir uh and experience like the experiences of all me and my group of mates uh, and our journey through that sort of period from youth team to, to trying to make it to first team football and I think that you know the book definitely
2: reflects that it's interesting that you've mentioned that the idea came about sort of after the the spell at Peterborough because I mean without giving away kind of you know how the book ends and everything um uh, I suppose your career was in quite a different place by the time you finished the book um in terms of that I'm sort of wondering like did that did that give you a sort of really different perspective when you got to the end of it and and where do you feel your career has moved on to since you started writing it?
1: Yes, it has. It, uh, it was interesting because when you're writing it, and this is over five years, so I was like on and off. And obviously when, uh, when I was in lockdown, I really sort of finished it. And that was during a period when I was playing really well at QPR, living at home, enjoying myself. And I still wanted to get out that because even at that time, I was having a, you know, I had, I was having a successful period it's still up and down. It's still, you know, I didn't, I then went on to not play for six months. I then end up getting released by well, uh, let go by QPR. And, you know, these are the ups and downs of football. So although at the period of, of writing the book, you know, within the five year, the five year sort of space, it was completely up and down. So that's what I wanted the book to really show in that it is, it is, a, it is a, you know, a journey of ups and downs in, one of the big things for me was actually just sort of neutralizing your emotions. You know you, you know, you guys probably go to work or you go to uni, you have a bad day at uni, uh, you have a bad day at school. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not smart or, you know, your life's gonna fall apart. It just means that you've had a bad day. <laughs> and, in, and in football, sometimes it gets highlighted even more because, you know, you have fans on your back, you have uh, the coaches, the players that, you, that you're playing with on your back, and this is your passion. So you could be sitting there and you're thinking, Jesus, this this, is, this isn't this is for me. Like, I'm not enjoying this. And then the next day, you know, you could play an unbelievable game and you're thinking, I absolutely love this. So trying to neutralise those emotions of the ups and downs in football was something that was massive for me.
2: Well, and talking about those ups and downs, I mean, then I don't know whether you see it as an up or a down, effectively. The, the moment where you've left QPR, I'm wondering sort of, you know, how that decision came about, whether it was, partly yours, partly the hierarchies, a bit of both, and also whether the lessons you've learned and the ones you've written about in the book helped you sort of process that decision in maybe a better way than you might have done in the past or or a different way.
1: Yes, David, I I think during writing the book, I, I very quickly came to terms with the fact that, you know, football, not everything is going to ever be in your control. Of course, if I'm a nine out of 10 every single week, which... I would love to be, but, you know, it's, it's very tough to do. If I'm nine out of 10 every single week, I'm going to play. If I'm, if I'm scoring, you know, a goal or getting assist every game, that's not, that's not the type of player that I, I am. And therefore, I realise that I can only control what I can control. And I've always tried to do that. I've tried to work as hard as I possibly can, you know, perform, give it everything I have on the pitch, and, and hopefully play as many games as possible. Um, knowing that in a team, in a squad, you have four or five other players, That are doing the same thing, and therefore, you know, if you if you don't pull your weight, someone else will, and if they don't, then you will. And I I came to terms with that very, very, um, very early on in my career, which I think helped in that. You know, football isn't fair. Uh, You can't make excuses. You can't blame anyone else. It it is up to you, and
0: what you do on the pitch is the most important thing. Yeah, um, when when it was all kind of not going right at the end of uh, the season for QPR, was there any kind of falling out behind the scenes or was it all still quite a unified squad?
1: I think it was tough because I think naturally the squad sort of divided a little bit because we had half the boys were injured and and at times it was like seven or eight of us training and you know that that does sort of in a way cause a bit of a divide um, and I think just when you're not winning when we were winning in January and and, and even at the start of season you know it was amazing. Like we were all thinking, you know, we're going to get promoted. This is what we've got to do. Um, And unfortunately, like we said, there are some things that are out of your control. If you're not on the pitch, you can't make a difference. Um, And we just lost it. I don't know. We just, the the squad was a very good squad. We all got on very well. We're all in it together. We all wanted the same thing. Um, And unfortunately things just, we just couldn't put the performances together. We couldn't, we couldn't get, get any wins really. Um, and it was, it was disappointing. It was disappointing. Um, but I don't know. There's so much you could probably put it down to uh, that you, you, could, you could list so many things.
2: I mean, not to, not to sound like we're probing on it, but I find it interesting for you that would have been the, the last time that you were kind of playing under Mark Warburton, but not particularly getting picked by and would have been kind of the very start at Rangers up in Scotland. I'm wondering how it felt towards the end at QPR not so much featuring in the team under Mark Warburton and, and, you know, having had such a close relationship with him as a coach throughout your career?
1: Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was, uh, I mean, I always wanted to play. Um, I, I think I, I spoke to the manager three or four times during the period when I wasn't playing, just sort of saying, look, I'm not begging to play here, but you know you know me. I've worked under you for, what, five or six years now. You know what I, you know what I can do? Um, I'm desperate to play. I want to help the boys you know, get results. Um, and 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 I was showing that. I, I believed that I was showing that in training. And I said that to him and he agreed. And, um, but the issue is we had seven other midfielders. <laughs> we had seven other midfielders. So um, it, it was tough. It was tough. The only thing that I could control there to start with when I wasn't playing, it was I couldn't get my head around it because I thought I had a really good start to the season. I was enjoying it. I was a big part of the squad, you know, in the changing room, and I just felt like, what have I done here? That's how I felt. But with that sort of mindset, you don't actually gain anything from it. Uh, the most important thing, therefore, for me was, okay, I'm just going to train my hardest, get myself ready for whenever I'm picked. Um, and I did that, and I just sort of got my head down and made sure that I was a positive, sort of positive character around the training ground for everyone um, and pushing the lads on. So... So, yeah, at this point, I didn't uh, contribute um, until the last game. But, like I said, a lot of things are out of your control.
0: Yeah. Um, Would you still uh, want to play under Warburton again? Obviously, he's been such a big part of your career um, with, you know, Watford and then Rangers as well, now QPR. Would you play for him again or is it sort of maybe time to sort of move on to something else?
1: I think a bit of both. I think... You know, if the opportunity came. I would, I would, I definitely look into it because he has been very good for me uh, for, for so long, and I've I've played some of my best football under him. So he's always he's always trusted me to to do that role in there. Um, and the other thing is what what I thought this year, even you know, even around January time, I thought, you know, I've, I've been a professional footballer now for for seven eight years. I've I played under uh the, well, Mark Warburton for for four four of them, and. It's, it's nice to to change it up, actually, you know, change it up, change club, change your scenery, change your coaching. Um, and I, I sort of had that in my mind um, around January time anyway, but who knows, you know, football changes very quickly. Um, the, the, you know, I don't want to call him now, Gaffer or Mark Warburton or, <laughs> um, you know, Mark's been very, has been very good for me. And I appreciate a lot of the opportunities he's given me. So, yeah, I would never I would never turn that down.
2: Yeah. And I mean, this, I think this is probably going to be the final question on that on that dip in form at the end. And there is stuff in the book that I think we both really want to uh, dig into. But just sort of actually leaning in, in a bit to the book and not not to quote it at you. But there's a part where you mention players coming in on loan and how for a dressing room, that can be a bit of a weird feeling because the people that are getting replaced in the team are people that you've, you've known for quite a while. And in comes someone new. From the outside, it it felt a little bit like that could have been happening at QPR. And I think separate from the performances of of individual players, some people sort of looked at Jeff Hendrick being signed and went, oh, that wasn't a position we necessarily needed a player in. But now you've got Don Ball fighting for a place, Luke Amos fighting for a place. Is, Is that the sort of thing that does create a bit of tension in the squad?
1: I've only I, I can only say it from my experience and what I've seen, and uh, you know what what players my friends have said to me uh, at their clubs at lower level. I know it's definitely happened at lower level. It is it, it can work very well because you know you get a, you get a high quality player in um, that costs costs very little, and it works for all parties. It works for the player, it works for the club loaning them out, and it works for the club that are bringing the player in. It, I've always, I've always, you know, wanted the fact that, you know, the football, it should always be about the football. I can't talk in terms of the business side of the club. The club have been very good to me. I, I, I couldn't, I'd be lying if I said this is exactly what happened or this is exactly how it happened. But it is a business, you know, the club are running a business uh, alongside, you know, the football squad, the football team. And, the, you know, Jeff uh, came in on loan. There was other boys in on loan. And they're very good players. They are very good players. And like you said, we, we probably we might not have needed um, midfielders, but bringing Jeff in, a premiership experienced player, um, you know, everyone thought that would, that would be a... Well, I, I thought that'd be a good signing because we've got, you know, we've just got a, good, a really good, talented player. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't work out for, for everyone, for, you know, the players that are already there, the, the, the squad, the, the whole dynamic of the squad... Um, of course, it put me back in the pecking order a little bit. So it was, it was harder to get to get games. Um, but, yeah, no, I think these sort of agreements, this is this is the business side of it that you, you come to learn in football, which I also had to accept that this is a business. So if I do not, if I don't hold any value to the club anymore, why would they keep me? Why would they be paying me my wages? Um, what, what, what's the reason? And that happens, at, uh, you know, I talk about that in the book a lot about the other lads, you know, uh, Westy, my close mate, he was, his cruciate, and the, the club were going to give him another year but they thought, what's the point? We've got boys that have just passed him from the younger age group so he doesn't hold any value to us. He's not going to make it into the first team so what are we doing keeping on to him? And, and that's how ruthless it is. That is how ruthless it is and you get your head around that, it, it does make things a little bit easier.
2: And I mean, talking about that kind of ruthlessness, I thought it was a really interesting point of the book about how that goes right the way down the ladder to that youth level. Um, I suppose in a nutshell, do you think that sort of academy football is is too ruthless in that sense and too focused on sort of like, can we get a player that has a value to this club's business? If no, he's off.
1: I'm, st- I'm still very much on the fence with it because I believe that it has to be ruthless. I also believe that it should be dealt with in a better way. And therefore I'm like, because I keep getting asked, I keep getting asked the question about like, do you think the academies need to do more? And I'm sort of like, well, if they start, you know, treating players really nicely and end up having squads of 30 at the age of 21, you know, the club is a business. They're paying 30 30 youngsters that are never going to make it. Unfortunately, that is a waste of money. That is actually a waste of money. Um, but you know, these kids and, and, and players like myself, we are people. Um, and I just think maybe is there a is there a better way to do it? So there's no surprises, there's no shocks. All the players understand, look, this is the situation, you're never guaranteed anything. Um, and especially as a young player, it, it can be very tough, you know. I, I, I don't I think just that how it's done can be improved, but I also do think that. It needs to be ruthless because if young players aren't prepared for first team football and and what is required to do that, then you won't last very long.
0: Um, you you know these parts of the book where you talk about um like the the interviews with your coaches when you're about to be released to them they seem so. Um, well brutal to be honest uh, especially the one with, at Tottenham without your parents I couldn't imagine sitting there going through that um, is, do you think there is any way that these situations can be made a little bit easier or is it just an, an unfortunate necessity that you're, you're upsetting yeah. people so it's not never going to be nice is it?
1: I don't think it's ever going to be nice because this is as a young player this is your dream so getting told that you're not at Spurs, I was actually, like, devastated. And I'd still been offered a contract. I'd been offered a third-year scholar. But in my head, my whole life was based on, I want to be a professional footballer. I want to get that first professional contract. And I was sure that I was going to get it. So when I then was told that, look, we don't think you're good enough just yet for that. We need to see you longer. Just, it, it literally just crippled me. And I, I honestly, like, they're speaking to me for 10, 15 minutes, and I'm literally about to cry. Um, I'm literally, stat- I can't hear anything they're saying, and I'm just thinking, I need to get out of this room. I need to get out of this room, um, and maybe less, just just less surprise, less surprise. I shouldn't be go- I don't believe I should be going in there thinking I'm getting a pro, um, and then not getting one. It, m- it might be just you know easing the players in, say, look, you know, just pulling them in. Maybe every single month. Look, at the moment we're not sure. We're not sure. But it might be. You know, might so, so so then you're not you don't get your expectations so high.
0: Yeah. Um. So moving away from like all that end, last end of the season and looking kind of back to your start at QPR, you you went on trial with us as a youngster when you were released after Watford. Um. Was it weird coming back to a club that you actually sort of turned down I mean you can we can understand it going for Spurs ahead of us so that's completely fine but was it a little bit odd you know uh, coming back to QPR
1: yes it well it was I, I literally when I actually went there on trial it was for a day um so I literally did one session under the under the floodlights on the astro pitch um and it was only for a day so it was a bit like I I just thought like when I was coming back, I was thinking, you know, I actually turned, I turned QPR down before, like, they're going to hate me, they're going to hate me. Um, But I had to make that decision when I was younger. There was, there was five clubs. I needed to be at the best place, like, for my development, which was, which was uh, Spurs. Um, But, you know, QPR was, even then, it could have been a very good option for me uh, to try and get into the first team. And it was a great, obviously, when I come back, it's, it, was, it was a club that really worked for me and I obviously loved it. I loved it.
0: Good to hear. Um, obviously, th- this next question may be slightly scuppered by the fact you only spent one day there, but um, can you compare the sort of state of the youth set up then to kind of what it is now and as it improved uh, from maybe what limited uh, things you've seen?
1: I think yeah, I think it's definitely improved. Um when I was when I was there, it was we were actually training on on a pitch where half the pitch was was floodlit and the other half wasn't. So at, at times you couldn't even start, you couldn't see the players. Um and you look at it now, um, there's actually a lot I think there's I think there's quite a few good youngsters that are still coming through that I hope will uh, will continue to improve and obviously break through into the first team. So I, I definitely think that's improved, yeah.
0: Uh, good to hear. Um, and what was your highlight of playing for QPR? If you could narrow it down to one thing. Probably the Cardiff goal. Um, but I
1: still, I can't believe like that goal happened without any fans. And actually, it probably was lucky because I, I don't know what I would have done if there were fans in there most likely I would have probably been in with them um, celebrating that one well yeah I uh,
0: haven't seen what uh, Albert got in trouble for it late in Orient I don't know whether that'd been a good idea or not um, but you know we'll indulge you a little bit you, you can talk us through the goal if you want to like you know what it's last last knockings of a game you know are they, we weren't exactly in great form at the time were we so no. you know it was and again like you know fans not being there I know for, for myself, it was, you know, seeing it, it was fantastic. It was a real f- good moment. So talk us through it, if you could.
1: I, uh, yeah, so we actually, I was obviously on the bench um, and the the lads were, were actually first half were unbelievable. Two no, I think we are two no up. The boys, because we weren't in good form, it was like, okay, this is kickstarted us. You know, we've gone two no up. Uh, we're actually playing really well, fluid football. We could be more up. And actually at half time, we're sort of saying, we're gutted that we're not three or four nil up. And then uh, like Cardiff do, sometimes, you know, they just start sort of bullying and being very direct, getting the ball in, in the box. And they got back to two all. And, you know, I've come on, I, I think I came on for about five minutes and I actually got put in a bit more of an attacking position to sort of stop sort of stop the, their number four playing. And the ball went up. I think, I can't remember is it Lyndon who just played it off to me. I just took a touch and I just thought, I sort of seen the goal. And I thought this is my left foot. I actually don't. I prefer shooting on my left foot um, for some reason. I don't know why. And I just thought I'm just going to smash this. Um, and I luckily got well. I got a nice little bounce, so I was able just to sort of get through the ball and get a little up and down um, over the keeper. And I knew as soon as I hit it, it was a goal, and I just started sprinting and just kept running and running. And uh, it was amazing because it was literally a last minute goal to get the three points. Um, which makes it extra
2: special yeah I mean that sort of you talking about it brings back that memory of, of I remember how sort of surprising it was that we'd gone 2-0 up in that amount of time and the sort of devastation I mean i was just looking through the order of the match and I hadn't realized that you came on just before the the second penalty in my head that had, that had been after but I suppose just the idea that I remember fans on Twitter sort of looking at it and going we just brought on a defensive player, and now we've got to find a way back into it. And we've maybe okay. accidentally worked it into a, into a two-all, and then that happens. Like,
1: yeah, I do, man. Actually, I was on earlier, wasn't I? Yeah. So they scored the sec. I came on. They scored the penalty, and then I scored the goal last minute. Yeah.
2: Yeah, five yeah. minutes after, which is I, I remember that feeling in that five minutes of of sort of people going, "Oh, we're set up too defensively here to win it." And and with with the with the absolute like utmost respect, I don't think that was the, the sort of super sub they saw bringing that goal into it but it was it was what a moment that was um so sort of moving away from you that, get some
0: great commentary as well from nick london don't like you I say yeah.
2: as much as the fans weren't there like that was for us that was the next best thing was was yeah. i remember with nick london there was a delay he sort of hadn't really realized what had happened and he said sort of yeah. oh yeah, dumb Don ball's done it like it which just yeah <laughs> that was brilliant anyway we're indulging our, ourselves too much in this so sort of, again moving moving back to the book now um you talk a lot about the Premier League dream, right? And that is the dream for for pretty much all, all kids. And, and you've mentioned that that dream is is not one that's over for you now. But looking at the stories of your friends finding a lot of satisfaction, a lot of happiness playing in League Two, on loan in the AFL, playing in non-league, do you think, do you think we oversell the Premier League dream? Do you think kids should be brought up thinking, no, I'd love to play in League One, I'd love to play in the Championship? Or is that not realistic?
1: I think that's the point that I... Uh it's so hard because as a youngster, you know, when you're messing around with your mates, you're not wearing, you know, you're not wearing a League One jersey or some, well, some people, but you're always wearing like, you know, you're wearing Man United. Everything for me was Man United. Man United this, even like Real Madrid, Barcelona. um, And when you actually come into the Football Academy, that is it. It's, It's you're doing this to play in the Premier League. But you look at the Premier League now, to actually make it to make it in there is it's it really is nearly impossible. Like the figures and the data actually shows it is nearly, is nearly impossible. Um, so for the boys that have done it, they they deserve to be there. You know, the one that I refer to um, a lot is Harry Winks. So I was very close to him at Spurs, and he just had this sort of mentality where he was never sort of happy with what he was where he was at. He was never sort of happy, um, and you could say a little bit moany, but for the good re- for good reasons, as in, like, I, I want to be up there. This is what I've got to do. And he was so single-minded. Like he, uh, Harry Kane was just saying, literally, that was it. I'm getting there, and that is it. Nothing else matters. And credit to them for, for actually, you know, going and doing it. Um, but to, to, to get there, I don't... like Like I say in the book, if someone said to me, you're going to have a career in the Championship League One, I would have been like, you know really? Like, Is that what I'm doing all this for? And then, you know, you sort of, as you grow older, you realise how hard it is, how good players are in the championship and league one, league two, um, how competitive it is. um, And, you know, you realise it's still football. And for me, it is just about enjoying it and where I'm going to enjoy it most. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed QPR. It was perfect. I really wish we got promoted. Um, because then that would have been, that could have been the dream. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not over. I'm still only 26. I've still have another, hopefully another 10 years of look after myself.
2: Yeah. And talking about that mentality and, and what you saw in Harry Winks, I think, and I hope I've got this right now, that the word you use about yourself in the book, you use the word obsessive at points, right? And, and, and that sort of as a good thing and as a bad thing, but uh, do you feel that that is something that, that is necessary and something that equipped you to, to sort of have the resilience in your career?
1: Yes, I think the obsess, the obsession, though, it, it just became it just became stupid because it wasn't actually obsessive for the right things. It was obsessive for stuff that didn't actually matter, like going to the gym, going to the gym twice a day, like doing upper body or doing stuff that actually is not going to make me a better player. I'd be better off just watching some of the better players sitting at home and actually watching the players in my position and, and what they're doing. That would be more beneficial to me so i got obsessive and i got a little bit like in my own head where this is I've got to make sure I do all these things like before the day before the day ends uh and then I've had a good day but when it came to training I was absolutely knackered (laughs) so I couldn't prove myself I couldn't actually improve with the coaches that you know were there on the day because I was absolutely knackered so you have to be obsessive you have to be uh very single-minded but you have to understand your body you have to understand you know the right times to do it uh, when to do extra training and especially as you get older I realize that as well there's no point in me trying to do extra training when I'm recovering from a game um it's just not going to be it's, it's not going to help me so I think as, as you mature as a footballer you, you start to realize when's the right time
0: um in the book you mentioned uh, how great your dad was and it gets securing your trials after losing out at Watford. This seems quite like a unique thing to have in your corner, having a parent that could do something like that for you. Um, could you sort of elaborate on how important it was having him doing that sort of thing and not necessarily relying on clubs to go and find you new trials?
1: Yeah, it was massive. Um, I was lucky that my older brother was was playing, so he had been at sort of he'd done a little bit Ipswich, a bit in Norwich. He'd obviously he was playing for Northern Ireland. Um, so my dad obviously had been taking Matt to these sessions, meeting, um, talking to a lot of these coaches. At that age, uh, the coaches are still going to be talking to parents. So it, my dad obviously built relationships with these with uh, these coaches and just meeting them. For example, the guy that uh, scouted me at Watford, Bob Harper, he actually went on to um, Spurs. So he'd stayed in contact. And he was the one that actually got me the trial at um at Spurs, and that's the thing it's, it's, he's given me a massive opportunity because he's always opened, the, he's he's allowed the door to be open for me, and it's about it was always about me going in there and then taking the opportunity. So very grateful for um, for that. I was very lucky to have someone that, you know, had those relationships with people in football because it does matter. It does matter, um, and yeah, and then I, I once told I my you know once your foot's in the door, it, it is completely up to you. Um, and now my brother, my older brother's sort of taken that role on now. So he's actually become um, he's become an agent, and it's nice to have someone that you really trust um, and you can rely on to do that role because it is it is something that is very important, and that's why I was I was very pleased to be going to Ipswich because Matt had been having those discussions with Ipswich, and he was very taken back by the opportunity as well. So.
0: Okay. Um, keeping actually the topic on your brother, um, you mentioned in the book the introduction of the under-23, under-19 leagues, um, which were kind of detrimental to his uh, progression at Norwich, and then eventually sort of, it was the start, I guess, of how you describe it, of him falling out of love for the game and then eventually stopping playing. Um, and obviously, you know, with the way that QPR were going under Warburton, there was a lot of emphasis on bringing the youth players through and I always kind of remember him sort of like going on about milestones about how many how many play, games and players played and when they reach 100 appearances it's like very important and everything like that do you think that these under 23s 19 leagues that they got set up in the sort of Premier League uh, youth systems do you think they're actually like fit for purpose or is this um or are they not really worthwhile
1: I think there can be for players that have not yet fully developed. It gives... uh, If my brother had a 23s or even an under-20s league, it's likely that he would still be playing because he went from 17 years old to getting thrown straight into a first team where most boys at 17 aren't ready. And he was captain at Norwich. You know, he'd been on the bench for the first team. But when he went in there... um, completely he wasn't going to be he wasn't going to be playing every week so he literally had no games he didn't have a game schedule he uh he might have got like a reserve game every three four weeks whereas now with the reserve schedule the under 23s or the b teams um schedule there is a game every at least every 10 days so boys are still developing for matt his development just completely stopped and he was getting sort of shifted from first team training to under 18s to first team he was getting weekends off uh, and he, he, he probably only played about eight or nine games that whole season, um, which isn't good at that age, especially when you're trying to develop and trying to become a first-team player. Um, I think it was... And obviously, out of our family, he was the first one to experience it. So a lot of the things that he went through, I've, I've learned from as well, um, which is why which is why the book was so important because a lot of people don't know what they're getting themselves into. Um and you could just be very taken back by, oh, oh well, what do I do? I, I don't have a clue what I'm, I've got to do here. And that's why I wanted to share the story of all of us, including my brothers, uh, because I hope I hope that it would help.
2: Yeah. And, and talking about, you know, all the stories included in the book and, and obviously Spencer's being one of the kind of really, really emotional ones. If you don't mind talking about it and, and let me know if you do, and we can, we can cut this, but, you know, the part where you mentioned having to carry the coffin at his funeral and then play against Millwall the next day. Um, I mean, does that show that fans basically just never really know what's going on with the player and without giving away people's personal details, can we assume that there's personal circumstances going on more than we'd ever know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, For me, that Friday, obviously for me that Friday, it was um, probably, yeah, probably the hardest day of my life. Um, And, but the relationship I had with Spencer was very like, it was very, he loved football, but we, it was very black. we were very black and white of each other. And it was, he always wanted me to do so well. And, and we both loved football. And all he would have wanted me to do was make sure I played and played hard in that, that, that game against Millwall. So um, it was really tough. I'm actually not even, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not, it's the first time I've actually thought yeah. about like that day. Um, and, and, it was, you know, it was, it was really difficult, but going out to, you know, the start of the season, every game I was playing, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for him. I, I will continue to play for him. And I always think about him just before I'm going out on the pitch, um, just gives me that little, that little push, because I know that that's, he just wants me to, to go and do do my best every time I play. Um, but it's true. It is, it's the, it's the whole thing about, you know, players are still people. Um, that's what I've always pushed for in terms of, you know, treatment from from fans, from from staff, from um, from coaches, and vice versa as well. The players treating the players and how we treat those groups as well is important. There always has to be that that mutual respect, um, and that's that's where it can be difficult when that breaks down. Um, I think that player to player it's it's been very like during during you know the last three years of qpr there's always personal things going on uh with family with them with each other and uh, people are being a lot more open now which is good which is good and out of everyone you know the support that i got that period because i was off training for a little bit the support that i got from all the lads was was incredible and you know when i come back in it's it was it, it was good because it's it sort of everyone just wanted to sort of lift my spirits and Especially before the first game of the season, that was that was important.
0: Uh, yeah, that um, I think we'll uh, leave it there. Thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to us today. It's been um, it's been a fantastic interview. We've both read the book and we really enjoyed it. And I think uh, Ben would agree uh, that it just the book seems re- it's really worthwhile. I really enjoyed it a lot of footballers books are sort of vanity projects just and how great their lives are, but this is a book of real meaning and purpose. So I think, um, yeah, it was a really good read. Um,
1: I'm happy you enjoyed it. And I, I, like I said, I hope, well, I hope it makes a difference. It's uh, it's been selling pretty well at the moment. So my aim was to sell a thousand books and um, we got over, we, we got over that line a couple of weeks ago. So I think we're selling uh, every day now, I think, minimum of 10 copies a day so we can continue to do that. There's still a few bits I need to do. I want to try and get involved with the PFA. uh mm-hmm. sort of see if they can try and promote it as well because I do think there are a lot of good there are a lot of um there are a lot of parts of the book which can would hopefully can change certain things and make people more aware. Yep.
0: Yeah. And if people are interested in purchasing it, where can they get it from?
1: On Amazon. It's on my uh Twitter and Instagram bio. But it's yeah. If you just put the name, if obviously you put the the title of the book into Amazon, it will come up, um, and and yeah, it's pretty simple actually.
0: I will make sure there's a link in the uh, podcast description as well if anyone does want to go there and purchase it. So Dom, thanks so much again for talking to
2: us. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just just say like quickly before we end it. You know, not to not to make this sort of too kind of much of a loving, but. Like the, the the impression that you've left with pretty much all the QPR fans is is a positive one, right? And is of a really dependable player. So I think just a, a thanks if this is one of the final interviews you do for a QPR, you know, website. As uh, a thanks from all of us basically.
1: You me emotional stop.
2: <laughs> I don't we'll leave it there anyway before I, I start going over the top with it. Anyway, no, no, you very, very much.
1: Pleasure. And I uh, think thanks a lot, guys, and, and maybe I'll see you down at the stadium. Um yeah. I'll still be a massive fan. So Cheers.
2: Nice. Oh.
0: Catch you there, guys. Thank you. Okay, so uh, we've just finished with Dom. It was a fantastic interview, really enjoyable. Of course, uh, as you can probably tell by the end of the interview, we're very thankful for his time. Uh, so, Ben, what, some what did you think of him? What do you think of the the interview in general?
2: Yeah, no, it, was, it was a good one. I thought. Obviously, it's it's weird for us, like for a bit of transparency on this, we, we we had his contact details and we got in touch with him for an interview and then he signed for Ipswich and we were sort of messaging each other going, ah, oh, fair enough, we're not going to get that interview then, that makes sense, he's not going to want to talk to us and he still did, so credit to him for that and, and I thought it was, yeah, it was interesting to hear. I think I think one day we'll find out exactly what happened at the end of that last season but it will be in, a, in a, another book, another player's autobiography. I'm betting Charlie Austin, maybe. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's pretty likely. Um, but no, it was good and, and good to hear about the... Um, you know the the sort of youth systems that he went through and the experience of that should probably say at this point about the book um so just sort of paraphrasing from the dedication at the front of the book really um it's in the memory of uh, his friend spencer mccall who's one of six guys uh, mentioned in the book featured in the book um all the author royalties will go to sarcoma uk which is a national charity uh, funding vital research and offering support for anyone affected by sarcoma cancer um which was what ultimately took spencer mccall's life and that is available uh, on Amazon uh, you can get it on uh, you can get the book on Dumball's Twitter page all the links are there so uh, definitely give that one a look
0: yeah uh, and as we said like it's a, a book with purpose it's a point in book right at the end as well as a very uh, obvious reasons uh, there's a very poignant chapter right at the end that um, you know after talking just about youth football basically for the whole book it really sort of doesn't catch you off guard but it's you know, there's going to be a mention of Spencer uh, and the illness that unfortunately took his life eventually. Um, and it really does, it, it blew me away a little bit at the end there. And, you know, I say in the interview to Dom that it's a book with purpose and it's not just a sort of typical footballer's book. And he, I think he can be very proud of what he's done, can he?
2: Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I, I tried to avoid kind of quoting too much from the book in the interview just to to not spoil, you know, some of the, the stories in there, but there's some good stuff in there, and there's one of one of like a couple of my favourite like anecdotes about football are in there. So it's 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 definitely a good one, and uh, I'm going to embark on reading Nader Manouva's book yet, and we'll report back on that one as well. Next, Ian.
0: So is this like a QPR footballers book club?
2: I think it may become one, um, but as I've said, we've got to wait for the Charlie Austin autobiography because um, he's made it a very big point of saying he's not retiring yet, so maybe not for a few years. Okay. Well, uh, whilst we wait for Charlie Austin's eagerly anticipated
0: autobiography that probably doesn't even exist yet, uh, you can read some very good articles on the R-Generation website. Uh, One, by myself, you know, I don't want to drop my own too much, but three players that could have a very important season ahead of them for QPR and then also one that you probably have seen already or read already, but if you haven't, do give it a read uh our mates uh Micah Chudley and Dan Lambert have done a fantastic in-depth dive into what we can expect from Michael Beale this season and if that isn't enough from you you are listening to this podcast already why aren't you listening to our other two podcasts that we've already brought out this season another one instant reaction to uh Michael Beale's appointment featuring myself and Ben and Micah as well and then Last week, we had a chat with uh, Cole Petten from the Holtcast, an Aston Villa podcast, to get their view on Michael Bill and what they thought of the whole situation. Another fantastic interview that we did last week. So that can all be found on the Our Generation website, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. There's links to it on my Twitter, which is at AlexBullimore3. Uh, Ben also has links to many stuff on his Twitter which is uh, at bm underscore summer I think uh, with that I, th- I think you've got that right um, and yeah we've we keep on saying that we don't want to do too much before the season but if we keep on getting interviews with f- former QPR players or oh. current QPR players for that matter we'll be doing uh, interviews right up until the start of the season but um, thank you very much for listening follow the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast follow our generation net on twitter and uh, leave us a review as well uh, five stars would really help us so uh, if your podcast platform does allow you to do that please go ahead and do that uh, so that's it from me and ben thank you ben for coming on and doing the interview uh, uh, thanks excellent. once again to dom and until next time come on you us